0: Although we treasure these for historical accuracy, the language and attitudes expressed on them do not reflect current, you know, current, current attitudes or whatever. So in the Kearney, this is called the square up because it would make things legitimate. Like they'd have a nudist film, but then state, oh, this is approved by the nudist corporation of America to make it seem legit. But my favorite is at the Museum of Science and Industry, they've got a display of all these preserved fetuses from single cell up to full, and it was a doctor's collection. And there's this huge sign on the wall that states, uh, this is this doctor's collection bequeathed to the museum. Uh, These were collected pre-1936. To the best of our knowledge, all of these bodies were acquired under ethical means. This is a doctor in 1936. I don't think that's very ethical. Let's start the show.
1: For those who do not know, the biggest wrestling spectacular, names from all over the country, former champions, I've never seen anything like it. Eddie Graham, Florida Promotion, Vern and Superstar Billy Graham, Road Warriors. Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis, Tennessee. Bill Watts, Jerry Jarrett,
0: Dory Funk, Harley Race,
1: uh, Nick Bockwinkel. This is Cigars in Conversation with Derek St. Holmes, Esquire. Hello and welcome to Cigars and Conversations, brought to you by our friends at Astro Radio Z and iTunes. I'm your co-host, Jay Gilkey, and I'm sitting with a true raconteur in the world of professional wrestling. This man has shared the ring with a who's who of talent that ranges from Judd the Janitor to Kweefka the Quiet. A wrestler, manager, commentator, and a trainer who's contributed essays to wrestling publications and enjoys stopping by roadside attractions on his way to and from wrestling bookings. With 20 years of experience, he is a true renaissance man with unlimited knowledge. Ladies and gentlemen, I am speaking of the incomparable, the one, the only Derek St. Holmes Esquire. What's up, Derek? Okay, we talked
0: about this before the show. I don't remember that Queefka the Quiet. No? But you mentioned the promotion it was in. It's like, okay, I can kind of buy it there because they had kind of the comic booky,
1: Some goofy stuff. Yeah. Very good. I worked the Estonian
0: Thunderfrog there. Okay. At the time, he carried around his magic hammer. So and it all kind of. Uh, but to combat the magic hammer, I took my five pound set of Indian clubs, and we had kind of a, a th- exhibition off at the beginning, which he of course won. And uh, <laughs> can I make
1: a got off? five minutes out of it? I was going to say, um, knowing that promotion, uh, were all ten people in the audience pleased with it? Yeah, yeah. It was a uh,
0: it was one of those things for the boys. No, that's uh, good. Uh, you mentioned roadside attractions. Yes. Yeah, um, you spend a lot of time in a car, yeah for as, sure, as a wrestler. So I try and, you know, make it worth something. I like to take my picture by oversized things. Uh, my favorite one of my favorites is when we were going to well, I can tell you real quick, when we were going up to Green Bay, we had to stop by the ruins of the Maribel Hotel, yeah, which is allegedly haunted, and my friend dysfunction was displeased at the lack of visible haunting. So (laughs) how great. Yeah, you can like that. But my favorite was we had to drive through Lincoln, Illinois. So we found a on one trip, the world's largest covered wagon. Okay. It was like a 70 foot covered wagon with Abraham Lincoln driving it. Nice. Sure.
1: As, as, as he
0: would. Yes. And then we also went to on a second trip, went to the spot where Abraham Lincoln had christened the town with a watermelon. Oh, wow. Um, apparently, there's a spot where he broke a watermelon and said, good luck with my name. Uh, hasn't brought me much joy, but maybe it'll work out better for you. Did he? So the town was Lincoln? Yes, Lincoln, Illinois. Not water Watermelonville? No, no, but it does have a small stainless steel watermelon. Oh, really? In, in the spot, and there are three time capsules around that spot. That's pretty neat. And uh, since this was in Lincoln, Illinois, of course, we started thinking about the uh, Lincoln Wrestling Alliance. Yes. Um, uh, how did it happen? And uh, maybe people like don't the, know. The, the baby face was a tattooed high flyer named Abel Incan. Okay. And the head heel uh had a grappler type gimmick with the thick sole on the boot and he was John
1: Wilkes boot. John Wilkes boot. I like that. Yes. Of course but, the finisher was a kick to the head. You know, it's all better than Queefka the Quiet. Uh,
0: I I I'm sorry I don't remember who that was. But I'm guessing it was a very outlandish uh wrestling gear. Yes, I could
1: see that. I think that um uh yeah. <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah, I found that and was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I do still, I will say, I love the fact I'm able to just go on this beautiful thing called the Internet and just find a list of matches, very, even frequent frequent ones, too, that have happened in the last couple weeks. Recent? Yes, frequent. Frequent, recent Frequent matches? and recent uh, matches that have happened in the last few weeks. Um, I'm always jealous when I see your pictures on Facebook of the places that you've traveled, and I see uh, not necessarily who you're traveling with, Haha, ha, just kidding. Uh-huh. But uh, um, the places that you've gone to and you've taken pictures, and I think that that's, that looks like a lot of fun. It is. Because only when... a reason to do stuff. Right. When you and I traveled, we just went to Chicago, and... Uh, really not a whole Mar- lot. Mar- Mars Cheese Castle, but that's uh, even...
0: Well, no, I would take you to Bobby Nelson's. Okay, yeah. Uh, because at least there's a wrestling connection there. Right, He right. invented the full Nelson, you know. So that sure. would be, yeah, that
1: would be very cool. Um, but it, that's fine. Like I say, we've only gone on one trip together. I can't expect oh, it to be. Are you, do, would um, you like to go on another trip, Jay? Maybe. Someday. Okay. Okay. I, I would go on a, like, t- maybe somewhere out west. Oh, Okay. And I don't mean, like, w- way out west, but just or out west or north or somewhere. Like Janesville? Sure. Let's do that sometime. Okay. I don't care. I introduce you to the parents there? I would uh, be all about that. Hey, there is somewhere out west There is like a fiberglass museum or a fiberglass old. uh, No, that's in Sparta. In Sparta. But that's out west, right? Well, very northwest. Oh, sorry.
0: Well, no. Have you been there? Uh, I haven't been to the fiberglass museum that you're talking about, but I have been there twice to get my picture taken with the world's largest bicyclist. Okay. Who's the guy with the stovetop. Yeah. uh, We took that there. And across from there, there's a used to be an A&W. So there's a bear on roller skates. They're real close to each other.
1: I think I might try to hit that up this summer yeah, still.
0: But then there's the – it's called F-A-S-T, which fiberglass, are something Yeah. Um, that, that's what makes a good deal of the large-size fiberglass figures that you see.
1: I would, Yeah, I r- would really love uh, to see that. They made the uh,
0: Bessie the Cow in Janesville, which we could pick Did up they in really? a double shot. Yeah.
1: Okay. Uh, you know where I, I was talking with a friend the other day, uh, and I said, you know where I bet would be a great place to go with Derek. I bet you'd be great to go through House on the Rock with. I've actually never been there. Really? Yes. I've read all about it. Um, I
0: was impressed by its use. What was in that book, American Gods or something by Neil sure. Gaiman? Yeah. Who had obviously been there. Uh, I have not been there. I understand it's now, it's like split into three different tours. Like, you can't go through the whole thing. You pick.
1: Oh, they area. changed it up now? Yeah. Is that very recent? Because I went two years ago and you could go through everything. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well,
0: maybe I was just looking Unless at the thing. Unless I paid for like a some, deluxe one or yeah. made it through. Uh, but depressed that now that they have to say everything's not real.
1: Well, but whatever. It's still there. I'd still wanna it's still on it. It's amazing. We should, honestly. Okay. I think that would be a great. Sure. What if we took, we went, and we met all the listeners of the podcast and we went through it together? Uh, we could probably get a group of about fifteen. I think, uh, and <laughs> maybe they would pay for us. <laughs> maybe. Come on, guys! Serious? Come on! What is it? Twenty six bucks? Yeah, whatever. exactly. You guys, are we worth it? I think so. Yeah, sure. Maybe, but yeah, any- but it would be nice. Yeah, I think uh, we would just that drove would be a through Spring Green on our way to the uh, way to the family reunion. Oh, okay. So yeah, so maybe that'll be something we'll plan yes. down the road.
0: Okay. Um everybody just saw that tender moment. Like yeah,
1: that's good. No, I like that. That's exciting. I would love to because okay. yeah, that would be right up your alley. Uh I'd so probably do a lot of sniffing and giggling, like pff, uh, okay. Right. Yeah, no, I c- that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Just be amazed that just the, there's some great, great stuff. Oh, I'm there. sure there is, yes. Speaking of traveling, uh today we're gonna kinda do a travel around the the a old travel log. Uh, travel log around the US of A. <laughs> um some know that as the United States of America. Uh, we are going to be talking about some of the more famous arenas. Yes. Wrestling buildings. Buildings that that are hosted wrestling.
0: Yes. Because a lot of the the appeal of the old-time wrestling, granted not for us so much because we weren't in this area, but if you lived where there was a weekly circuit, there was a building that you went to once a week or once every other week, however it was hosted. You saw a lot of places, the same people. You ate the same popcorn, the same smells, the same whatever. So a lot of these buildings have a small charm like that was part of the wrestling experience.
1: Right. And I think a lot of the. Venues just are synonymous with the territories themselves.
0: Exactly, and what's what's sad is a lot, you know, the dearth. Uh, these buildings were often old and in bad parts of town, so a lot of these aren't there anymore.
1: Right. So if you get a chance to visit one, please, by all means, go out and. And I think work. that that's kind of w- truly one of the saddest things when looking into this is you really realize how many of these buildings are gone now. True. Sure. Uh, let's start our way. First thing we're gonna do, we're gonna head out west. Uh, we're gonna go to the uh, Portland Sports Arena. Uh, talk us through that a little bit. Who's in Portland? They're very good. All right. Next one. Uh, Just ca- kidding. The Cow Palace was in Cow. <laughs> right. It was in cowsville.
0: Uh Portland Sports Arena. Yes. Which is where they held the uh, weekly wrestling card for Portland or the pacific northwest right uh it was a stop on their weekly circuit so they would have uh saturday shows and sometimes the tuesday specials oh really they'd have a midweek show if the card needed it or if they thought they could get a house for it uh this was a building that was owned by the owen family for the longest time now don owen the longtime promoter in the pacific northwest owned by the owen family was a Recon uh, uh Reconverted bowling alley. Okay. Uh, that only seated about between three and five thousand people. It wasn't. It wasn't that big of a building. Right. So it was. It, it may have been. It may have even been smaller than that. Maybe like a two thousand person house. But it was owned by the promotion, so that took a big cost of rental and stuff out of that for the for the boss. Sure. Um, had the Saturday night shows, and then uh, flea markets on Sunday morning that were also run by Dandy Sandy Barr, who happened to be the head referee. Okay. And father of Art, Art Barr. Bar. yep. And Jesse Barr, okay. who I think is an incredibly
1: underrated worker. Really? That's just me. Was he, uh, was he Jimmy Jack Funk? Yes.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's when he started taking the paycheck. But good made a lot of money, but I enjoyed it as Jesse Barr. The match that he and uh, Mike Graham had at the first... Uh Starcade was incredible. Really? Yes. Anyway. Mike Graham. Yes. I <laughs> I'm I'm just kidding. He was okay in his milieu. Sure. Anyway, sure. Portland Sports Arena, reconverted uh bowling alley. Um had seating on all four sides, uh, but had an elevated spot where they would do the uh the T V promos. Okay. Because uh Portland was a two-out-of-three-falls territory, so between falls, they'd, they'd cut promos. And because this place was elevated, they called it being up in the crow's nest.
1: Nice. Later stolen by ECW. Yes,
0: that's exactly where they stole it from. Right. So that was just commonly known as the crow's nest. Um, this building hosted wrestling through the end of the Owen promotion, which happened uh, when Tom Peterson pulled out his uh, sponsorship for the show. They lost their TV spot once the TV was done. Boom. Don Owen got rid of it. It was bought by Sandy Barr, who tried to make a run of it, but the wrestling business had changed. Sure. Now the building's been sold, and I believe it's a church. Oh, really? Uh, there is footage on YouTube available of somebody that's doing a tour of the church that used to be a wrestling fan, so he's kind of describing, okay, this is where this was, and now they built a wall here, and you can't get back there. So it's kind of interesting.
1: Now, um, something when you brought up earlier, you said it was somewhere between a 2,000 and 3,000-seat venue? Yeah. As a, uh, I hate mixing business. I I can't remember the figure, but I know it's in the Grappler's book because he was the booker and had to sell the place out. Gotcha. Sorry about that. I hate mixing business with pleasure here when I talk about this, but um, as a promoter, I wish that there was a bigger venue around. I feel like that's the one thing our city's missing. Well, most cities are missing now is these uh, arenas that are a little bit bigger than... Uh, you know, something that might be like a two thousand seater, as opposed to a, uh, you know, it's like right now we have places where it's like you either get a thousand or you're going in a gymnasium or something. It's a, there's right. nothing, there's nothing in that middle ground anymore. A lot of that stuff's been phased out for always bigger, better, exactly. larger places. Uh, and that's of course with territories dying off, things like that. When that happened, I'm sure it didn't matter anymore. You're just not booking. Well, those it, parts.
0: it was different when you had a territory and. So you had one show that was there 52 times a year. Right, right. And so you could count on that income coming in. Then you only had to fill six other nights. Right. But if you're only running once a month now, that one day is not going to make enough to float you know, a building of that size. Um, that's something I never thought of when I was younger because I was just like, "Oh, there's wrestling at this building. That's it's a wrestling building." I didn't realize the the economics of okay, we've got wrestling tonight, then we've got basketball tomorrow night, and they, you know, I didn't know. Right. Uh, so that's where the advantage of the promotions owning a building came into play. For sure, because they, you know, it was their investment they did, used it for wrestling and then any other use they could come for. It was just easy money. Right. Uh, as we get through, we'll find out like the sportatorium in Florida. That's also where they have the wrestling school. And stuff right.
1: Like that. Well, it, the other one too, and it was recently kind of on the internet out there. Someone was talking about it where I guess there was a show somewhere out West where they had an arena like a 10,000 seat arena uh-huh. and they drew like 1500 or 2000 uh-huh. and then so the question was and I think I know what the answer to this is personally as like I say as a promoter I know what I would say but people were saying like oh well that show was a failure because they didn't fill the arena but then people are, but then no it that doesn't matter if you if you book a hall that size that's fine if you can make your money that's all that that's all that really matters. Right.
0: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because that building was actually the Cow Palace, which is in San Francisco. Exactly. Which is just a uh, jerk. Do you like that segue? Which is just a little south of, you know, directly south of the Portland Sports Arena. As you know, uh, you go from Oregon into Washington. Washington was dark for some reason, there wasn't a lot of wrestling in, right. in that area. Um, the, the stuff that was in that area is covered in the book I Ain't No Pig Farmer by Dean Silverstone, yep. which I strongly recommend. But the Cow Palace uh, was built in the 30s as part of a WPA work project and um, was used for the livestock exhibition, which is why it was the Cow Cow Palace. Palace, Gotcha. Now, I had always remembered the Cow Palace because of Ray Stevens' interviews. I had seen and heard people interview with the best one being, the reason they call it the Cow Palace is because all the women they got out there. Yeah, excellent. Ha ha. Nice little stuff like that. Um, Still around, one of the buildings that's still around today Uh, It was only run every three weeks by Shire, so it wasn't a weekly building. Right. Uh, Built in Daly City, California, which is just outside of San Francisco. Uh, I believe you questioned that in an interview about Super Clash 2 happening in Daly City, California. Right, absolutely. That's because it was at the Cow Palace. Yes. Now, just a little personal aside, when I went out to San Francisco in the early 90s to visit a friend of mine, that was one of my requirements is that I wanted to ride by, go see the Cow Palace. Sure. So we were able to drive by it. It's up in the hills there. And it's like, oh, there it is. And it still has the just an oddly 70s-looking marquee at the front that says Cow Palace. But just the way the letters, it just looks very 70s. Yeah, you're like, This was from the 30s? But the building was there, and I was very happy about it.
1: One of my uh, th- Cow Palace memories, uh, never been to the Cow Palace, but uh, one of the things that's uh, Plus Synonymous. it's just called the cow it, That's just a cool name. Uh, for me, that is the site of where Evil Knievel uh, was going to do a jump and the Hells Angels showed up and wanted to fight him, and there was a full-blown riot where the audience beat up the Hells Angels. Oh, nice. There is some ridiculously great footage in the um, – there's a documentary called Last of the Gladiators, which is my favorite Evil Knievel documentary of all time. Okay. It really just paints him. He's such an asshole. He's the, like the cockiest – Jerk ever. He's so great. Like, Evil Knievel's so cool. And uh, he's at the Cow Palace and he has to do the jump. And before he does the jump, the Hell's Angels are yelling shit at him and they're throwing stuff at him. And he basically tells the fans, like, you guys gonna let these guys get away with it. And there's a full blown riot. And there's footage of, if you can imagine, you know what the police like those orange and white long. Like they look like two by fours that to block sure. a street, you know, like sure. a closed road. There's a fan, a Hell's Angel, on his knees, kind of like with his head down. Looks like he's praying a little bit, and a fan busting one of those over the back of his head. Um, some great footage. Knievel went on to do the jump, landed the jump, but as he rode off the ramp and shot out the other side of the arena, he hit one of the pillars. And that's what, like, so the so the crowd oh, yes, saw yes. him jump and land, Yay! but then he hit the pit. Oh. Like, he went out, but they didn't see it. Only the one side saw it, because he was already down the tunnel, and he hit the, and just skidded and wiped out and oh, okay. busted his shit for there. But that's why the Cow Palace always stands out to me. Broke 37 bolts. But yeah, exactly. Uh, but that was always interesting. Yeah, and of course, Cow Palace still standing. Yes. Which is pretty cool you know, uh, when you think about it.
0: It was supposed to be a throwaway assignment, maybe a line or two in the agate type of the next day's newspapers. But on November 19, 1957, the melee following a main event that pitted Dr. Jerry Graham and Dick the Bruiser against Edouard Carpentier and Antonina Rocco in New York's Madison Square Garden became headline news across the country. It was a flat-out riot. It was an out-of-control riot, said sports writer Gordon S. White Jr., who covered the event for the New York Times. I covered so many things at the garden, and I distinctly remember the throwing of the hard wooden chairs. It was scary. An uprising of some sort had been brewing for weeks given the intensity of the predominantly Latino fans in the New York area. On October 15, 1957, Rocca and Miguel Perez had a run-in with Graham and Roy Shire, and at least one bottle was heaved from the second or third level towards the ring. Then, on November 2nd, a slat from a wooden chair hit the ring announcer after a contest between Raqqa and Perez and Graham and Shire. That set the stage for one of the most infamous nights in wrestling history. Rocca and Carpentier took the first fall at 18 minutes and 17 seconds, and Raqqa hoisted Bruiser in a backbreaker for the second when Graham snuck into the ring to break the hold. Graham and Bruiser were disqualified at 13 minutes and 48 seconds, right on time, five minutes before the Garden's 11 p.m. curfew. But from their press seats at ringside, it was clear to White and Ken Smith of the Daily Mirror that something was not going according to script. I do remember distinctly Ken turning to me and saying, You know, these guys aren't fucking around. They're not playing games. Something's wrong. White said, and I could tell they were pissed off at each other for something. I felt sort of edgy. The reporter's suspicions were accurate. As action continued after the match, Graham bloodied Rocca's face. Rocca later charged that he had been hit with a piece of chair. An enraged Rocca then bashed Graham's head into the ring post, turning him into a gory mess. I'll never forget this. It happened right over me, White said. Rocca took a hold with his arm and put his head in a lock. He was in one corner of the ring, and he ran him all the way across the ring and slammed the top of his skull into the ring post. Graham did not put up his hands to guard against the collision, White said. He got up and staggered around, but he was bleeding like a stuck pig. There was blood all over the place. Blood on me, blood on Kenny, blood everywhere. Oh, it was real blood. It was pouring down his face. The sight of blood got the crowd of almost 13,000. Ironically, the smallest of the season riled to a fever pitch. Fans in the front row charged the ring to get a piece of Graham and Bruiser. Other spectators splintered heavy folding oak chairs that had been braced together in groups of six. Bottles flew everywhere, and small fires set with paper appeared on the arena floor. Several fans climbed through the ropes as Bruiser and Carpentier policed the ring while Rock and Graham continued their tussle. The people were going crazy. The two teammates, they're not going at each other at all. They're standing on opposite sides of the ring, throwing the patrons out of the ring. I'll never forget this, White said. The two of them, one on one side and one on the other, they were standing there throwing the spectators out who were rioting and trying to climb into the ring. Wrestling historian Fred Hornby, who as a teenager was sitting ringside, also remembered fans using a flurry of umbrellas it had rained that night to jab Bruiser and Graham. They started swinging the umbrellas. Bruiser and Jerry really cleaned house. They were throwing them out of the ring two at a time. Finally, all four men, the Garden Security Detachment, and about 30 police from the area's 69th Precinct restored calm. Bruiser and Graham were escorted backstage, while Rocca tried to settle the crowd by addressing the throng in Spanish. The final count, two injured policemen, three arrests for disorderly conduct, about 200 broken chairs, the destruction of press row, the theft of Graham's $300 sequined purple robe, and a front page byline for white. Ironically, the bout was a change from the normal routine at the Garden. The scheduled event was Rocca and Carpentier against Killer Kowalski and Bruiser. Rocca had been teaming with Miguel Perez of Puerto Rico for most of 1957, but Carpentier had defeated Killer Kowalski by disqualification less than three weeks earlier, setting up the match. However, Kowalski could not make it, and Graham, who had been scheduled for a preliminary match, took his place. With wrestling hitting the headlines of the New York newspapers, State Athletic Commission Chairman Julius Helfen quickly intervened. He convened a hearing three days later, at which the show voters were uncharacteristically mute. Carpentier had to use an interpreter when asked if he could pinpoint the source of the trouble. How could I, he said, my back was turned at the time. Helfin fined Rock and Graham $1,000 each, Dick Aflis $500 and Carpentier $100. He canceled a November 30 show at the Garden and also pointed a finger at tag team wrestling in general saying he would no longer sanction more than one tag event on a card. That was a very dangerous thing for you to do, Helfen told Rocca reprovingly. We want no more anticlimaxes outside the ring. As a later repercussion of the free-for-all, children under 14 were barred from attending wrestling matches at the Garden. For his part, Rocca accepted the blame and laid praise on the commission chairman. He's a great American. What's money for except to keep it in circulation? Of course, though the wrestlers were tagged with fines, that didn't mean there was a shortage of work. Promoter Willie Gilsonberg immediately announced Rocca, Graham and Carpentier would be at his Jersey City, New Jersey show the following weekend. Riots continued despite the Athletic Commission's edict. In January 1958, Helfin suspended wrestling at St. Nicholas Arena in New York after an unruly crowd injured two people following a match between Chris and John Tolos and Pat O'Connor and Chief Red Cloud. But from necessity comes great invention. On February 24, 1958, New York City promoters figured out an answer to their disorderly dilemma. As soon as Rock and Perez beat the Tolis brothers, the sound system in the garden stirred with the strains of the Star Spangled Banner. The national anthem was played while the tag team contestants were still in the ring. Rock and Perez stood in attention but Chris Tolos and his brother John, his teammate, were escorted from the arena during the rendition. The tag match ban did not last long. Within a year, two tag matches were back on most cards and tag team wrestling remained a main event staple of the Garden until 1963. In later years, an urban legend held that Bruiser was suspended for life from New York because of the incident. In fact, he played a minor part in the riot and was back in the Garden soon thereafter. He lost to Carpentier on the same night the National Anthem provided cover for the Tolos brothers. Bruiser frequently appeared in upstate New York in the 1960s, and though the claim added to his roughhouse image, there is no documentation of any suspension in the files of the New York State Athletic Commission. More than two decades later, Graham, not the most reliable of witnesses, conceded that he had precipitated the brawl by bloodying Rocco without the High Flyers' consent. He told me Rocka didn't like to juice and he thought he needed some, wrestler Mike Dupree recounted. White went on to an award-winning career covering less violent sports, football, basketball, and golf. I've been in other frightening situations, he said from his home in Pinehurst, North Carolina where he lives with his wife, but that was a drunken, dangerous riot. You just heard an excerpt from the book, The Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Tag Teams, by Steven Johnson and Greg Oliver. By ECW press available where all fine books are sold
1: what about the pan pacific arena in LA
0: pan pacific arena in LA uh, I did want to bring that up here because Fred Blassie wrestled there in the 50s but my favorite current interpretation is that is the building that they use for exteriors in the movie Xanadu
1: How, uh, they use the building for exteriors
0: yes Explain. Uh, uh, well, the Pan Pacific Auditorium had these very futuristic looking uh, skylights out front. Okay. Or skylights or decorations out front um, that they were able to rotoscope or whatever to create the, the brand new Xanadu yeah. roller rink. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. I can't recommend it to anyone, but if you'll watch it, you'll just. One, you can see the cocaine on the screen. Absolutely. Two, you'll be angry with the movie for wasting 90 minutes of your life yeah absolutely yeah but but there is the mention of they're going through this building and sonny malone played by michael beck who was also in the warriors yeah and that weird ninja tv movie um just says this place they used to have wrestling in here right and it was actually true now the pan pacific arena um was one of these buildings that was vacant for longer than it was actually used because it was built back in the, the 30s, 30s or 40s with the Art, art Deco. That's what I'm thinking of. Sure. It's got the Art Deco uh, uh, lights on the outside. Uh, existed. Uh, they used it to film Xanadu in 1980. And then in the mid-80s, it was consumed by a fire because homeless people had been breaking in and a fire was started. Sure. Uh, largely wooden construction. Uh, Burned it down, but now uh, the city has memorialized it with the Pan Pacific Park, which is on that site. And I believe the park information booth has a recreation of the Art Deco light fixture
1: that they had on the front. Who ran there? What was it? Was it just the. So that would
0: have been like the the Hollywood territory. Okay. Uh, The LaBelle's, the Johnny Doyle's. Sure. Uh, Maybe. No, that wouldn't have predated LaBelle because uh, Blassie wrestled for the LaBelle's as well who also ran the Olympic Auditorium, gotcha. which is in that area. Uh, the Olympic was the grand dame of, of right. wrestling on the West Coast. Uh, built for the 1920s Olympics, but it was one of those weird buildings that was built in the round for boxing and wrestling, right. so it was just just the perfect building. Um, there was a passageway. They had a heel and a face entrance to go to the ring, but they all funneled down to the same locker room, which is down in the basement, which was helmed by an elderly African-American gentleman named Tiger Jackson,
1: Okay, who
0: A, would try and sell all the boys uh, like hotel soap for, <laughs> for a dollar for their shower. Very cool, yeah. But the, the boys knew the Dodge, so a lot of times they would buy the soap, not use it and give it back to him so he could resell it. But every time he never watched the matches, but every time you came in from out there he would just be, that was a masterpiece boy that was a masterpiece <laughs> That's and, funny. Um didn't know anybody's name called everybody horsecock. Really? Hey horsecock. Hey, do you need some shower? Do you need some soap for your shower, horsecock? Roddy Piper is like, "Why do you call everybody horsecock?" He says cuz they think it's funny and I don't have to remember anyone's name. That's sound advice. Perfect. That's amazing. Um As we sweep through, we can skip over Nevada because Nevada was never really a strong wrestling state simply because, one, no population center, and two, the population center in Las Vegas. There's so much else to do. Sure, yeah, right. Wrestling isn't really going to be a draw. But I do want to stop by Phoenix, Arizona for a second. Okay. Because there's a small building that only held about 2,000 people there also called Madison Square Garden. Oh, really? So when uh I believe it was Ernie Muhammad like tried to run wrestling in Arizona in the late 50s and early 60s cuz you had it was a very easy territory cuz you had TV tapings and a show in Phoenix uh a show down in Tucson and then maybe one other show like those were your three dates for the week yeah but like when the assassins went in there they still got you know a good guarantee on that sure uh when they wrestled in Tucson it was in a what did they say? It was a converted Safeway. So it's funny in the Assassin's book with all the pictures that they show from wrestling in Arizona are taken from this building, and you can see the long fluorescent lighting. Yeah, right. So you can say, oh, this was a, a, this was a, a shopping market. That's pretty funny. But yeah, the, the small Madison Square Garden that was in um, Phoenix, Arizona, I only found out about it through reading fanzines. Uh, and there's a guy, Dale Pierce, who I believe managed as the time traveler. Um, Carmine brought him in once before I was in, but he's written a lot of books on the Arizona wrestling scene. Okay, Uh, That's who I heard the Chris Colt story about the cage with. Yeah. But he did a story on Madison Square Garden. And again, another personal point, when I went out to Phoenix, Arizona, I wanted to drive past this place. It's now been... The building is still standing, but it's been totally reconverted for industrial storage. Oh, okay, you know, So sure. it's, just, it's just a warehouse in a grimy district now, but yeah. that's where like the Cowboy Bob Kellys and the amazing Yumas and everybody wrestled when they passed through that area.
1: It's still really wild to think that how these places that once thrived and were holding events, now, yeah, it's just like a nowhere part of town right well storing who knows
0: what well this is a good segue to move over to the sportatorium in texas absolutely
1: uh yeah located downtown texas uh, at the corner of industrial and cadiz absolutely uh, ve- uh, the a very barn like arena so to speak uh very barn barnish yeah if you will. uh
0: jerry lynn described it to me as have you ever seen like a fair grandstand it's like yeah it's like that except they just put a Corrugated tin
1: shield around. It. Right, right. Yeah, and it—I mean—it held f- about 5,000 yeah. people. So it was a nice size place. It's a nice size place. Um, Known for being a um, very uncomfortable and unsanitary, uh, not good heating system, not a good cooling facility. Very hot in the summer. Huge rodent infestation yep. problems, uh, and uh, something that I read about in it—it it said that there's a large chamber or pit in the foundation.
0: Yes. Uh, this goes back to uh, when the building was originally constructed, I want to say in the 30s. Okay. Uh, I, I'm just going off memory here. In the 30s or 40s, um, existed for a while and was actually burned to the ground as part of a wrestling war in the area. Yeah. Uh, between Ed McLemore and I'm forgetting the other side of it, but like they paid some bum $100 to set fire to the... Set fire to the sportatorium so it would burn all of the tapes of, or the films of wrestling footage that were in existence at that time. Okay. Uh, you know, in that area. Yeah. So, they hurry up and reconstructed the uh, reconstructed the building on the original base, but it was originally, I want to say it was originally uh, a rectangle, but they pulled it in to be an octagon. Okay. Uh, to change the shape. And so, part of the old foundation was still present. So I'm yeah. not surprised that there was a pit in it or whatever it is. Uh, but great scene in the heroes of world class where Kevin Von Erich goes into the sportatorium one last time as they're tearing it. Right. down. I understand this was another building that, Oh, they're going to tear it down. We have to, we have to save this building for all the wrestling history. But when you stepped back from it, it was just a tin shack in an area of town that used to be kind of lucrative but now was just liquor stores and homeless people. Right, exactly. It was and, yeah, definitely uh, in a bad area. Sustained a lot of fire damage when homeless people broke in and set a fire, you know, to try and keep warm in the cold winter and and caught the front offices on fire. Have
1: you ever are you familiar with uh wrestling announcer Doyle King? Uh yeah, yeah, he does the uh yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. No,
0: he did global too. Yeah,
1: so uh, he right now is the owner. He went and he saved the sign, the world famous Sportatorium sign. Oh, nice! He actually saved that, and now when he does uh, reunion tours or like what all the festivals or whatever it is, the autograph signings and things uh-huh. like that, and reunion shows, he goes and takes this. The sign, and so people can pose with the sign, oh, with the world-famous Sportatorium sign. That's a uh, great dodge. Trivia. Global Wrestling Federation. What did they call the Sportatorium for a while? The Global Dome. Yes, the Global Dome. Absolutely. And they ran from, like, 90, 91 to 94.
0: Yeah, they ran out of money quick because supposedly Joe Petticino had a huge investor that turned out to be fake, and then it just got weird.
1: Yeah, and after that... Um, People came through, I guess, with some smaller feds. NWA anyway, yeah, like, tried Luch- to make a yeah. run, and people—nobody ever lasted uh, very long.
0: Well, again, it, well, it was an old building. Um, a lot of things were not up to current code, and it was a gravel parking lot. Bad part of town. Right. Wrestling didn't have any sort of luster anymore, so it was just—it was just on its way
1: out. Now, one of the last things to happen there was kind of a funny one. Of oh, the arm wrestling? The arm wrestling. Yes, go Exactly. We're going to uh, kind of bring that up. So uh, kind of funny. So Dallas-based Southwest Airlines, um, ha- they were holding an arm wrestling match between their chairman, uh, I think it was like Herb Kelleher, and uh, it was also against a guy named Kurt Herwald, who was the chairman of Stevens Aviation the reason they were doing this whole thing was because uh southwest was using the slogan just plain smart p l a n e mm-hmm. which uh claimed that it infringed on the other the the stevens aviation and their slogan which was plain smart P L N A N E. uh so they just put just how dare they exactly so southwest just put the word just in front of plain smart and then claimed it as their own. So this was like a publicity stunt a designed Ice to baby raise
0: is a totally different song,
1: right? Exactly. It's totally. different. Exactly. Song. You could hear dum dum dumb, dum. there's an extra. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. this is kind of the same thing. Uh, it was basically done for a publicity stunt uh, designed to raise funds for charity. Um, I don't know who won. Who cares? Um, <laughs> But the Sportatorium was another building. Uh, like the
0: ring was hard built into the middle of the, the floor at the right. Sportatorium. And they would take the ropes down and have concerts there. Right. So like Elvis appeared there Absolutely. there were uh, a number of like like weekly country uh, broadcasts that came from the Sportatorium so it was well known you know again the building has to generate income outside of wrestling so this is it had the wrestling but had all of these other opportunities that came through it
1: right right yeah it's I mean again getting used as much as it can for a tin shack right in the the middle of Texas um, let's move up to the other sportatorium you were talking about the Florida Sportatorium uh what do we know about that one so
0: it's located at 109 north albany yes this was the building it was owned by eddie graham so he had his television studio for the weekly program in the bottom level and then had his offices in the top okay so this is where uh one you you would go down there to buy your tickets to go to the weekly show or get on the television show um Tickets were free. I believe tapings were like a Tuesday afternoon. Sure. So you just you could get your tickets for free to get into the show. If you had any questions or business with the promotion, you would go there. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is also, uh, he would have his television show. He would also have his workouts there. Oh, really? So if somebody wanted to be a wrestler, he would arrange to have so-and-so meet you here at the Sportatorium. Yeah. And that's where they'd have it out. Uh, you can see this in the film footage of Bob Roop Embarrasses Wannabe on YouTube. Oh, that, yeah, I saw it. That. That's great. the there.
1: Check that one out, Kyle.
0: And all of the, that's also where Hiro Matsuda would train his students out of. Is that where he broke Hogan's leg? Or uh, Yes. OK. That's where he broke Hogan's leg. That's where he filmed the Lex Luger training montage. Yes. That's where they filmed the Ron Simmons and Dewey Forte training montage, uh, which looked, it looks funny. It's like, oh, here's these people jumping around getting sweaty, but that's what you would do. Yeah. You would do 10 sets of 100 jumping squats in the Florida heat, and Hiro Matsuda would try and make you throw up, and if you didn't throw up, he would try and break your bone. Yeah. You know. Well, that's so, always a good time. That's wrestling. Uh, but that building uh, was in the news recently. Uh, obviously, the Graham family is out of wrestling for reasons we won't go into right now. Because um, we have in a past episode. Ha-ha. <laughs> But that building was recently sold, so it was interesting. Uh, you could go to the real estate ad and find out how the bottom was set up and the top offices and everything like sure. that. And now it's, I believe, a piano conservatory. That's crazy. Uh, Mike Graham tried to run it after wrestling was done, um, knocked down some walls and tried to run it as a roller rink for a little bit, Yeah. which I think
1: would have been interesting, to say the least. Yeah, very crazy. What hey, about I'm Mike uh,
0: Graham. I'm, <laughs> right? I'm a professional wrestler.
1: Right. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, what about uh, New Orleans? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. Auditorium. We skipped over
0: that. I did mention the city auditorium because that's where they would have their weekly show. But the city auditorium was also known for having the room. OK. If you jumped a wrestler, the security would jump on you and drag you down to the room and throw you in there and let the other wrestler come in, the one you tried to jump. And, and this is
1: the Mid-South? This is, uh, yes, this yes. is Bill Watts this territory? This is where
0: they did the JYD blinding angle. OK. Gotcha. Uh, where... JYD was blind. The Freebirds tried to make a move on him, and somebody jumped out of the audience and said, don't worry, dog, I got him, and pulled a, pulled a gun on the Freebirds that night.
1: <laughs> nice.
0: So that jumped by security and taken to the room. Right. Where things happen in the room. Like, they try and escort you out, but you fall. Right. Like, six times. Yeah. And accidentally get stepped on. If you get the drift, you know. Do you get the drift, Kyle? You get the drift. I right. mean, we could go through. I mean, there are every... Every territory had their, their key building. Right. So if we wanted to, we could do a mega episode. Absolutely. Of this. No, we're, we're just, just kind trying, of trying to skirting around the bottom. Some of the here. fun
1: ones, and, you know, and this one, uh, I, this next one, definitely an obvious one, but one that we have to mention—a place you've been, as you've mentioned in the past, the uh, Omni, uh, the Omni in Atlanta, originally called Omni Coliseum, but then just went. Everyone just shortened Became that up to Omni. the Omni. Uh, you know, where indoor arena, Atlanta, Georgia. Do you know the address? No, <sighs> not so much. Damn That's OK. I just thought that was kind of cool. Is that peach tree isn't that. or Yeah, isn't it? Oh, I, I thought you had it. No, I don't have it. Oh, well, why'd you say? Oh, because uh, I thought you would have known it. Sorry. I, I, Kyle's going to look it peach up while we talk about it. Po- yeah, it's like peach. It's something in. peach. Yeah, tree, as I, 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 I said thought. off the air when we were driving
0: there with my cousin and she said, do you remember I said there was some parts of town you don't want to be in? Yep. This is one of them. It's true. Like, I, again, this was another, when the Omni was built in the early 70s, it was a thriving, prosperous area, but then you had changes in the area and white flight that changed right. it into, you know, a place people didn't want to go. Um, doing some research on the Omni, it was very interesting that it was specifically built to rust so that the rust would create a protective oh, yes. shell around the structure.
1: Yes, and before we go on, Kyle, you were right uh, on that. Uh, Petrie was the studio... No, that was Techwood Drive. It Techwood Drive is the Omni. Oh, Peachtree is the was the studio. What? That's what it says yeah. here. Techwood opposite Drive. Of, See, opposite of. So what you I said did before. know. There you go. He knew exactly where it was, so uh, yeah. Talk I about this. Talk about this outside. Teeth. This no,
0: it was just a an, an engineering thing that was supposed to be new and revolutionary and didn't work. And yeah, did not work at all. Actually, uh, led to actual like visible leaking within the building during events and stuff like yeah. That.
1: So that was funny. Uh, so it was built, or actually was completed in 1972. Uh, the arena seated 16,000, uh-huh. uh, roughly about 16,000. Elvis Presley performed there 12 times between 1973 and 19. 1976. Yeah. That's a lot. But that's Elvis, I guess. Uh, oh, baby. Which, well, yeah, you know, the, he was the king. Uh, so a lot of a wrestling events took place at the Omni. We already talked about Starkid 85, Starkid 86, Starkid 89. The first War Games match was there during the Great American Bash in 87. And just a ton of other pay-per-views. Well, yeah. You're also talking late era. But that became...
0: When the city auditorium, which seated five thousand people in Atlanta, closed, the Omni became the main building for Georgia Championship Wrestling. Right. And that created a huge drain on their finances in that business. Because instead of having a building that you basically owned and only had to fit five thousand people with, that means you you had to have an angle every time
1: you had a show to try and draw that sixteen thousand people. Right. That's a lot of pressure on a booker. Right. No, for sure. And I think as far as memorable, you know, your you have your MSG you have your Cow Palace, your places like that. Omni right up there, right? Would yep. you say Holy Grail
0: of wrestling? Yes, I felt it was at one time because, well, in my day, it was the house that Rhodes built. Uh, previous to that, the house that Two built, Mr. Wrestling Two. Right. Incidentally, uh, two weekends ago when we were camping, it was a full moon, and I was able to tell everybody in our little camping trip the whole, when the God made the moon, mm. he put a Wrestling Two mask on it.
1: Did everyone just stare at you? Yeah, but I
0: didn't care because I I knew. It's
1: the best. I Uh, knew. I was at... uh,
0: Two, two,
1: two. two, And then I gave everybody knee lifts. So I always think of that myself. Quite honestly, when when you told the story a while back, Uh um, I've thought of it. And so that same weekend, no bullshit, I was at a concert in Chicago. And we were facing the stage, of course, at an amphitheater. Uh And the moon was behind us. And the lead singer of the band said... It's a full moon tonight and that goes through my head. Oh. Like it re- like Mr. Wrestling 2 goes through my head and I'm just for a, a second to myself I chuckle. No no shit. Oh right. Yeah, I so thought you were going to say that It's just no I'm just saying it's one of those things two. so like there's kind of a synchronicity between you and you and me in that factor in the sense that like Is Wrestling 2 still alive? Yeah. I think he's still alive. Yeah. I believe so. Yeah. Good Someone just right on our page. I believe he lives yes. in Hawaii. Could be. It'd be a good place to live. Yeah. Um, so speaking That's of a good... Kevin Von Yeah. <laughs> a, a good place to live, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, I know where you're going here. The International Amphitheater. The gritty
0: International Amphitheater. Before we get to the amp, yes. I want to quick throw in the Marigold Arena, yes. which is where a lot of the 50s wrestling footage came from, okay. from the Chicago area at the corner of Halstead and Grace uh, under Fred Kohler. Okay. Just another wrestling building that has turned into a church. Really? Yes. Huh. So you've got Portland Sports Arena, uh, the Olympic Arena in LA, and the um, Marigold Arena in Chicago. That's wild. Uh, it's wild, but if you think about it, it's just where you can gather a lot of people. Right. You know, so. No, and that, but yeah, that, that makes was up the corner, Halstead sense. and Grace. But the International Amphitheater down on the south side of 42nd and Halstead. Yes. Ah. Wrestling. Right. Uh, when I lived in Chicago, I lived walking distance from the old site of the International Amphitheater. Oh, really? It um, was originally built after the there was a horse horse track there called Dexter Park, which burned down, uh, which led to them building the International Amphitheater for uh, some sort of convention. In the, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm lost, but it was built in the 30s. Uh, for some convention and then became one of the main buildings for entertainment in the Chicago area. Okay. Yeah. Um, because it was big, it was, you know, state of the art at the time, but then eventually aged out plus the neighborhood changed and other buildings opened. Okay. Sure. Um, but that was a Dick the Bruiser... The, yes, that was that, that was that was where Bob Luce ran. That's where he had wrestling through the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Every time there was wrestling, you went to see it in Chicago. The fans would chant,
1: we want blood, and the Bruiser and the Crusher would do what they can to give it to him immediately. Absolutely. Yeah, that's such a, a, a uh, great, memorable Midwestern venue. Yeah. Um, in December 1981, Joe Frazier had his final boxing match at the amphitheater against Floyd Cummings. Uh-huh. Uh, it resulted in a... a Wild and crazy draw. <laughs> uh huh. It's a draw. What are you gonna do? Um, also, International Amphitheater known for a lot of the political conventions.
0: Yes, uh, the Democratic convention was there in nineteen
1: sixty eight. Uh, go ahead. No, oh, no, I was gonna say there was a lot of them, like yes. not just the Democratic yeah. one, but like, like, going through the years, there's many both both sides of the aisle. Uh,
0: well, where the amp was was just down the street from one of the main Democratic headquarters in the city of Chicago, yeah, on Halsted Street. Um. But I also know it for the music that played
1: there. Uh, UFO's live album Strangers in the Night was recorded at the That's airport. what I was going to get you with. I <laughs> was hoping that was one of the facts I had dug out that I was excited for, but you knew it. Sorry. how cool, right? Yes, good stuff. And a lot of live music happened there.
0: Uh, when I worked in that area, one of the salesmen we would he would always try to get me on his side by talking about the amphitheater by saying I saw some. Pretty horrible concerts there. I'm like, yeah. yes, tell me what you
1: saw. Well, you know that's the uh, place where Elvis first wore his gold lame suit in nice. concert. So that, that was pretty noticeable well for should. that one. Yeah, I think that uh, again, it's another name synonymous. I know we're Milwaukee now, where we live here, but uh, definitely uh, a place that we know that comes up all the time, especially in all the old footage. Yeah. You remember seeing it all over the place. Let's uh, again, we're not, we're just doing a kind of a quick overview here, but there's this one so on the list that you Detroit, wrote down. Skip over Detroit, the
0: Cobo Gardens, and go straight up to the Northeast. Yes,
1: and tell me about this one.
0: Jack Vichy's Arena. Yes. It was just called Vichy's Arena. This was a weird little... It was a holdout of the old WWF days. Jack Vichy was connected somehow, so okay. they would stop there every three weeks. It was a small 300-person hall Uh the ring was like the ceiling was low enough, it was hard to come off the top rope, but it was a regular stop for the WWF and really? the WWWF. Okay. So, what they would do at this arena was often try out new storylines and stuff to see how they would work or get the wrinkles out of things before they put them on big time. Okay. But this was essentially, uh, to put it in very regional terms, this was the WWF or the big show coming to the Knights of Columbus in West Dallas. Sure. But it was a regular stop that they ran up until the mid eighties when the building was consumed by a fire. Okay. But if, uh, it's mentioned in Jimmy Valiant's book, it's mentioned in Backlund's book, it's mentioned in Zabisco's book. They all talk about this little dingy arena that they had to go to all the time. But to me, it sounds like just the best place in the world. Yeah. I was going to say that. Did they not like it? Is it looked down upon in the books? It's not necessarily looked down upon is just this, well, why are we here? You're, you're soaring with the
1: Eagles this day and you're scratching with the chickens the next, right? Yeah, that's uh interesting. I wonder how many of those maybe existed for WWF throughout that area. Or do you think that well, that might be one of the few Well, Backlund talks about because
0: like up in Maine and in the upper Northeast, yeah. like that was so far removed from the media centers of New York, they would often try out Oh, let's see how these two work together. And so Backlund says, if you look at the results for that area, you can often see like the main events for three months down the line. Oh, okay, being yeah. Tried out. Sure. So there were a little, you know, and then the WWF also had the tent tours that they would do, right? Which I thought were the just that's very a European thing where they'd set up a circus tent and
1: have a wrestling show. So if WWF has television. And they're going to this small place with 300 people just to try out stuff for like a month or two down the line. How confused do you think that crowd was? Do you think that they were going in and they were hoping to see current storylines from what maybe what they were picking up on TV? If there was a TV at that point when they were running this place?
0: I'd have to check because it might have been on a separate television circuit. Okay. Or they got an edited version of the show. Where here are general squash matches, and then we're going to insert
1: interviews for Jack Vichy's Arena. Okay. Hey, everybody, come on out. Because at a time when you're protecting the business, um, if you have somebody that really does follow the business and you know what's going on storyline-wise, and then all of a sudden you're at this hall and there's people, you know, Backlund's fighting somebody he's never worked before.
0: I understand what you're saying, but that that couldn't exist back then. Okay. There wasn't, there wasn't the information. out There There wasn't that it. out there. So it didn't, it didn't I mean, really matter. Uh, the, the percentage were very, very low. And that were like people that had pen pals in different areas. And that's where they could put together, Hey, this was the same card that was here. And this, you know, this. sure.
1: But that, that was the closest it came to being open. Right. You know, do you, when you think of, uh, wrestling as a whole, and you think of the different territories, Besides the names, do, are you do you are you pretty well versed? Do you think in the venues as well? Oh yes, because there's so many we missed here: the Greenville Coliseum, the Mid South Coliseum was in Memphis. I right. uh, I mean, geez, even just the the Chase, you can uh, talk yeah. about that. Uh Kobo Arena in Detroit. Right. Uh,
0: Memorial Hall in Kansas City. City right uh I mean, whatever twin cities used
1: right i mean right no but <laughs> minneapolis like auditorium i mean everywhere had their their home base right and they all did, um, and, and they were pretty and because of the territory system no i'm mentally all going through in. them in my head too and vince ended up coming through though and basically when territories are going down and get getting into these arenas and almost Shutting out the former local yeah. territories. Well, and we've gone through the
0: stories that would happen there. Hey, they got their television show canceled, but here's our show, and we can right. give you
1: six dates right away. You know, right? You know, so there there was shady dealings going on. Yeah, it's there definitely is uh, the history for each one of these places. That uh, there's also a past. There's a history and a past for all of these places. And whoa, and the lights just flashed like we almost lost power, and it's flashing again. That must be the cue. This yes, is the cue uh, like the, at the theater. The theater is going to start, so or we are probably here. wrap up here. Yeah, this is, uh, this is unprecedented in the uh, world of podcast history. We just tell uh, Dysfunction, we just had that uh, actual proof of uh, apparitions. Uh, he'll say he wasn't there. Yeah. And right. he'll uh, describe how the earth is flat. On that note... We're gonna wrap things up for this episode. This was arenas, some of them, some locations around. We know we could always do another one of these somewhere Hey, down the if, road. and if
0: anybody has an arena they want to hear about, give us suggestions. Absolutely, we
1: haven't we haven't asked for suggestions in a while. You know what? I think uh, let's ask for suggestions and let's let's ask for questions. I think we're due for a questions episode.
0: Yeah, that's about right. Right. We need our greatest hits album. Yeah. To come out. So a friend of mine did say that he enjoyed. The uh, listener questions episodes, because that was most like a car trip with me. Very good. So. Oh, well,
1: it's kind of like a car trip with them. I could say that I've been there Like with the them. car trip you want to take. Yes.
0: Which you very tearfully asked me for at the top of the episode.
1: Yes. So uh, maybe that'll be something down Get the road. Get your hand off my knee. So with that being said, let's do that. Ladies and gentlemen, who am I kidding? There's no ladies listening. <laughs> That's not true. I'm just no, it's weird. Like comic books and wrestling and heavy metal music it used to be. There were no women. Now, now
0: the girls are there. Like, okay. You can. These were like anti. These were right. like birth control subjects when Absolutely. I was growing up. And now you can get laid. That's all I'm saying.
1: Well, I like that.
0: I mean, maybe not you and me because we're kind of out okay. of that game. But the Shh. people
1: today, do I'm. Just, yeah, yeah. You're right, Derek. Okay. Just I'm, ca- a, I'm just I'm kidding. I'm just joking. Uh, but yes. Sure, you are. Joking. Ladies and gentlemen out there both of you uh all two of you yes um thank you for your support yes please sh- ask some questions let's we're gonna do a i think the next one we'll do a questions uh, answered well sure if we get any yes Beyond send us send us Dory, your cues we'll give you gun, our yeah. a's right who would win carl gotch i still think that that would be a maybe that might be an episode down the road too is a who would win episode and we just know <laughs> just to make that no. guy happy no no all right. Well, you heard it, heard it here first. We're not doing that. To wrap things up, this is your co-host, Jay Gilkey, and you have been listening to a show about inanimate objects. If you made it this long. Thank you. Congratulations. You've been listening to Cigars and Conversations with Derek St. Esquire, brought to you by Astro Radio Z and iTunes. And again, we're asking you to subscribe, rate, and most importantly, share the podcast with your friends. We'll see you next time. Send your questions we